Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. It's good to be together. If you have a Bible, meet me this morning in Luke 15 as we continue our vision conversation. Well, you're looking that up. If we haven't met, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. And uh, if we haven't met, hopefully we have a chance to do that uh, once this is over. But again, good to see you all. Luke 15 is where we're going to be. Before we get into that, I just want to remind you that, again, we're in this vision conversation. Uh, you just heard a little bit of uh, a tease of it, if you will, from UN just a moment ago. And I want to reiterate what he said, which is take that survey. I know our uh, deacon and elder teams are very excited to dig into some of the, the details on that. Um, but please take a few moments and do that at some point. Uh, not right now, as he just said, right? But later on. And uh, we'll... we'll uh, all be curious to see how that turns out and, again, what, what the story is that that tells. A lot of that, though, comes from the conversation that we are having right now, this vision conversation as we think through who we are, who we've become, where we're going as a church family. This uh, teaching that we're doing in this series is a little bit different than what we normally do where we're, go where we're going through like a book of the Bible or a deeper dive into a particular topic or we're looking at one of our practices uh, this is still very much from Scripture, but also, again, just kind of naming together who we are and where we are going as a church. All right, so Luke chapter 15, this whole vision conversation this year comes from the Gospel of Luke. This is one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. And we're going to read, I'm going to read to you this story, very famous story that Jesus tells. Maybe you've heard it before. It's called the parable of the lost son. Really, it's the parable of two lost sons, as we'll see here in just a moment. So Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, and you can follow along with me or it will also be up on the screen as well. Jesus continued. Jesus continued. So this is obviously building on something that he's already said, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring, uh, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into this moment where we open Scripture and hear and we have so many things that are going on in our lives, so many voices that are are competing for our attention. And so, God, we ask that, that for the next few moments, you would still those voices, help us to take a deep breath and to just be here so that you can speak to us. God, we want to hear you speaking to us today. And we know that you are and we know that you will, but help us to be ready for it. Prepare us for it. Again, hold the things that we bring into this moment with us. Would you hold them for us so that we can be fully present and in tune with your spirit? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, we're in week two of this conversation that we're calling Vision 2022. Very clever title. And I just want to recap real quick where we were last week. So we were in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus is hanging out with some people that uh, the religious authorities of his day are not approving of. And they sort of grumble about this. They ask him, why are you doing this? And Jesus uh, gives this answer, right, about how it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. And then he goes on to to tell a story, a parable uh, about... Uh, how when you, uh, when you get new wine, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. And, and, and when you have a, a, an old piece of clothing, you don't, you don't put a new patch on it and all this kind of stuff. And we talked about how we, we have this sense that we're in this new wine moment. right? That God is doing something new in this time, in this place, and we want to join in with what he is doing. We, we've said that. Uh, our desire to be a new kind of church or a new wine church, if you will, is not about uh, look at how clever we are, we've figured it out, we've unlocked the code, we have the greatest strategy in the whole world or anything like that. It's about seeking renewal, this belief that God wants to do something new and fresh and is in fact doing that and we want to join in with that thing. And, and so one of the questions that we sat with last Sunday is, is are we ready for that? Are we ready for renewal? And we believe wholeheartedly that, yes, we are ready 
for this. As we've uh, uh, grown and changed and evolved over the last couple of years, this is our moment. Like we're ready for God to do something fresh and new here. Now, we also last week introduced this graphic. This is a purposefully uh, lame um, on purpose. <laughs> Uh, the idea here is this. Every church at some level is doing these things, these three things on the triangle there, belong, serve, grow. And, and so part of our, our quest, if you will, in this conversation, this vision series this year, is to just name how we are doing these things. Okay, How is what discovery does around grow and belong and serve, how is that unique to us and, and to our moment? So we looked first at grow, that was last week, and now today we're looking at this idea of belonging, okay, belonging, right? There's a difference between belonging and fitting in. I am privileged as a, as a middle-aged white male to be able to fit into a lot of spaces. In fact, as I was watching the Super Bowl last Sunday, I had this, this very visceral reaction of like, oh, I, I am the target demographic now. Right? It was like 90s music, 90s references, 90s movies in the commercials. Like all of this stuff was like, it's you, Steve. They want your money. They, you are who they are after. Now, I can fit in in a lot of different places. And yet my whole life, I think, has been this sort of struggle to belong. Right? It may be easy for me to fit in in different ways. But to find that place where you really feel at home where this is like, oh, these are my people. Right, That sense of deep belonging can be quite elusive. I was not cool in high school. I know you might not believe that, but it's true. <laughs> I was not cool in high school. I was totally average in college and even in church circles. Right? You might think, oh, you're a pastor. Like, How much more belonging can you have than being the pastor of a church? But even in church circles, I find often that I don't always fit in. Like In some places, I'm too conservative. Other places, too liberal. Some places, too radical. Other places, too mainstream. Geographically, when I lived in Boston, very aware of the fact that I was from California. And then when we moved here to Davis, like pretty aware of like we just came from the Bay Area, right? That sense of like where do I fit in? Where do I belong? Where do I call home has been elusive. And in fact, I would say that church has been one of the most elusive places, at least for me personally. And I know many of you have a similar story. Where can we find that deep sense of these are my people, this is home? And it's not just me, and it may not just be us in this room, right? I think we, we live in a, in a time, in a weird time, where people in some ways are more connected to each other than ever before. And yet at the same time, we're experiencing loneliness, alienation, disconnection in overwhelming numbers. Central to who we want to be, to who we are becoming as a church is a place Right, where people can find and experience that deep belonging. I'm home. These are my people. Right, the kind of belonging where it's not just about fitting in, but where you feel at home. Now, all of this brings us back to the story in Luke 15, which is such a great story. In fact, many people have said that it is, it is the greatest short story ever told. And one of the reasons it's so brilliant is because there's all kinds of layers. And we're not going to be able to, to peel through all of those layers today. But I do want to come at it from this question 
of belonging because while this story is about a lot of things, one of the things that it's very much about is some of the ways that we get lost. Two specific ways, in fact, that we become alienated from God and others. So this is a story about two ways to be disconnected, two ways to get lost. Now the first way maybe is the more obvious way. It is the way of the younger son. Right, this younger son who uh, tells off his dad, runs away, like goes as far away as he possibly can get from his family, and then just goes wild. Now, if you've, if you've been in church, if you've ever heard anybody teach on this, the younger son sometimes gets cast as the, like, brotastic party dude. And there's an element of truth to that. But I think there's more nuance to it as well. I, I think the younger son in a lot of ways represents one of the, the strong spirits of our age or what I like to call the Kevin Durant philosophy of life. Okay? I love Kevin Durant. He played three years for my Warriors. We won two championships with him. Great basketball player. Maybe the best scorer of all time. Terrible philosopher. Okay? Kevin Durant's philosophy. I'm me, I do me, and I chill. All right? I'm me, I do me. Are I chill. This to me perfectly captures where so many people in our world are today, which is this turn inward, this search for the authentic self. Whatever I want to do, whatever uh, I believe makes me authentically me, that is the only authority in my life. I do me and I chill. Sounds great, right? Sounds very freeing. But the truth is, the reality is, we were made in the image of God. We were made to be in relationship with God and with other people. We were made to love. To love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. We were not made to do me and what? An inherent conflict between radical individualism and a life of loving God and others. And so we should not be shocked. We should not be shocked that in this pursuit of the authentic self, we become isolated, disconnected, and alienated from each other and from God. So there's the way of the younger son, but there's also the way of the older son. This one's a little bit trickier, a little bit harder to see. Because the older son doesn't have that big moment, right? Like he doesn't go off and squander everything in wild living. And yet at the same time, he's just as lost as his younger brother. He's angry. He feels cheated. He's an earner. And in his anger, he refuses to go in and join this incredible party. That his father is throwing because his brother, the father's younger son, has come home. Now there are multiple versions of this. I think there's at least two versions of the older brother. There's a religious version and then maybe what we would call a secular version. But the, relig or the religious version is, you know, that person who's, who shows up to church on Sundays, who participates in a bunch of different ways. But deep down, deep down, it's all about earning. It's all about control. If I do this, God's going to do this for me. If I put in this amount of time and effort, I should get this reward out of it. Confession, this is me. Now, I struggle with this big time. So there's this religious version of the older son. There's also, I think, 
a secular version of this as well. We see it a lot here in Davis, right? People who have followed all the rules, checked all the boxes, took the honors classes, went to the good school, got the job, the house, the 1.8 kids, right? All the things that you're supposed to do. And yet still feels disconnected, alienated, uh, restless. What is this all about? With all that achievement, uh, we couldn't stop a pandemic from disrupting our lives. Hasn't given us this deeper meaning and purpose. And so again, you see a lot of restlessness. People jumping around, moving to different places, looking for some new thing that will fill that hole, that sense of like, what is the deeper meaning and purpose of life? So two ways, right? Two ways to get lost. Both sons are lost because they are focused on the outcomes of their relationship with the father, the costs and the benefits of being a part of the, the father's family. But meanwhile, the father, what does he want? What does the father want? He just wants to be with his sons. Right? He just wants to be with his sons. Just, you, you, I love the, the sort of image of the father watching, waiting for that younger son to come. And when he sees him, it, right, the text says what? He was still a long way off and the father just runs, like leaps off the porch, runs to the son. Once the party starts, he goes outside the party to be with his older son and to plead with him. Not a suggestion, not a like, hey, come on in. No, to plead with him. To come into the party. The father just wants to be with his kids. Which is, this tells us something very important about God, right? God is about belonging. God is about belonging. Now Jesus tells this story. A very similar setup. Who are once again grumbling about who he's spending time with. The beginning of chapter 15, we see Jesus creating belonging, right? Hanging out with, once again, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And, and so they grumble, and then Jesus tells three stories, actually. He tells a story about, uh, about a, a sheep that gets lost, a coin that gets lost, and then these sons who get lost. All of which is designed to tell us some very important things about who God is. That God wants to find lost things. That God wants to put his family back together. That God desires relationship with us. And this is the beautiful good news of Jesus. That God wants to be in a relationship with us. He just wants us to come home and be a part of the family and join the party. God is about belonging. And I pray that this is the heartbeat of our church, a family of belonging. Now, each week as we go through these, these sort of three kind of generic things, right, grow, belong, and serve, there's, I have this like, like, what's the most important one, right? And I, I, would, I think you can make a very compelling argument that this one, in our day and age, in our moment, again, with people experiencing so much disconnection, that this might be the most critical aspect of our mission. 
creating a place to belong. Now, how do we do this? I, I, I want to just kind of tease out a couple of things. I think there's a, a, a cultural component to this and then a strategic component to this. So culturally, one of the things that we like to say around here is that you can belong before you believe. Okay, you can belong before you believe. For decades, the response of the church when interacting with a lost son has been, okay, here's the five, the seven, the 12 things that you need to believe. Agree with these, sign on the dotted line, and then you can belong. Our desire here, though, is that the culture of our church is a lot more, reflects a lot more of the heart and posture of the Father. The father, again, who runs to meet his younger son, who invites his older son to join the party. Neither son has to do anything, has to believe anything, has to jump through any hoops. Just come home. Just come home. Now, this doesn't mean that beliefs and behavior are not uh, important or anything like that. It means that we err, once again, on the side of people and relationships. Come in. Come home. Taste and see. Practice, experiment, try it out, belong, and then believe. I've seen this so many times in my life as a pastor. People who join the community and they, they don't necessarily fit in. They don't believe all the right things. They don't do all the, the right churchy things. They don't know the, the insider language and the Christianese. And yet they find, uh, they find this connection. This sense of belonging and over time, the more involved they get, the more they experience uh, relationships and the life and rhythms of the church. They have this moment of like, oh, I think I believe that. I think I'm in now. I've had an experience with this Jesus that you guys have been talking about. I'm in. They belonged before they believed. This is the culture that we are trying to create here at Discovery. And I believe that we have made some very great strides towards this. But I think we also can go even farther. We can go farther in the language that we use and the ways in which we make that more inclusive. We can go farther in the invitations that we extend. We can go farther in the expectations that we place on people or don't place on people for that matter. We can create more and deeper belonging. Now, strategically, the primary place that we do this is in what we call here at Discovery mid-sized communities or MSCs. This is, the, again, the primary place where community happens. And I just want to say a couple of things about mid-sized communities simply to just go to one, be a part of it, right? But a couple of things that I wanted to say about this. First, mid-sized communities continue to evolve as we learn. All right, we launched this back in April of last year. So we haven't even hit the one-year mark of, uh, of mid-sized communities, but we've learned a lot in just the last 10 months. And as we learn those things, uh, we continue to implement and change and, and try out different things, all because what we want to create this deeper sense of belonging here at Discovery. So it's a work in progress. But, but the second thing I want to say is this. We do have aspirations for there to be at least one mid-sized community in every of the, what I would call the five major neighborhoods in Davis. Pretty simple. North, south, east, west, and central. Now you can break that down even farther, and I think the next step will be seeing that happen. Uh, but the, the, the sort of horizon for us is to have one MSC in each of those neighborhoods. 
But there's also, I think, potential to do one on campus, to, to have uh, mid-sized communities in Woodland and Dixon and, and some of the surrounding areas as well. But this is the direction we're heading, where these communities are embedded in neighborhoods. Where you can walk out your front door and go, there, 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 there. These are my people. Now, the third thing I want to say is this. Uh, Mid-sized communities are great, but they are not the end-all, be-all of belonging. So again, primary strategic importance, but they are a vehicle to belonging. They are not belonging itself. And so wherever it is, whether it's in one of those groups or in a smaller uh, connection of relationships within that group, our deep hope and prayer and desire is that everybody has their people, right? Those, you know, maybe it's two, maybe it's five, whatever it is, but people that you, when you sit down with them around a table or over a cup of coffee or whatever it is, there's that feeling of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, these are my people and I am home. That's what the kingdom of right relationships looks like. That is what a community of belonging should be. Now, each week as we go through this, there's like the teaching on it, but there's also a story that we want to tell that brings it to life. And so I've invited my friends Dustin and Paula to come and share this morning. So let's welcome them as they come to the stage. Hey, guys. Hello. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being willing to come up and, and share a little bit with us. Why don't you tell everybody uh, just kind of quick backstory? How did you end up? Uh, you were not always in California, so how did you end up here in this area? And how did you meet each other? Just some of that kind of stuff. Give us, give us some of the deets on your backstory. Sure. Um, so my name is Paola, and this is Dustin, my husband. Um, we, I am actually originally from Costa Rica. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, um, I was raised there, and I became a missionary through um, Youth with a Mission. And Dustin, in 2008, Mm-hmm. went to Costa Rica, and uh, we met. Um, we were doing ministry with women that works in prostitution and human trafficking down there, and Dustin was able to join the ministry that we were doing. And so at that time, uh, we met, and then fast forward two years, we are married and um, working with orphanages, uh, actually with a friend of ours. Um, and through that work with orphanages, um, God put in our hearts to adopt. And so we tried to adopt in Costa Rica. It's a long story. We were not able to do it. But um, I think it was the way they got used to put that um, feeling or that, that burning in our hearts. Um, and then after that, uh, we were in Costa Rica. He couldn't work because he was not, he didn't have the visa to be able to work in Costa Rica. I couldn't come here because I didn't have a visa. So it was a really hard time in our lives. Um, God really, really worked in our hearts. Um, and so I forgot what it's, um, it, it kind of surfaced again that we really wanted to start looking into adoption and um, start exploring that. And we definitely did not want to foster that. And 18 kids later, roughly, uh, we've been able to adopt Ella, our daughter, and we're in the process with Isaiah that should be done hopefully in the next couple of months. So you, you guys were there for like 
eight years or you were there for eight years? And She was there for a lot longer. Um, right. I was there for about six years. Six yeah. years. So, and, and I've heard a, a few of your stories, but you're there, you guys are doing this, this, this uh, work, this ministry, and, uh, and then you come back to California and you start looking for churches or for a place to, to belong. And that was a little bit of a struggle, right? Because the, the difference of like what you were experiencing in Costa Rica versus what you were seeing when you got here was pretty stark. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and just the experience of being back in the American church? Yeah, of course. So uh, we were fortunate enough to be part of a church plant while we were in Costa Rica. It started with about six or seven missionary families, just kind of a place that we could come together and share and be, um, be a community and belong really, um, instead of just serving the communities that we were in, but coming and um, coming together as a church. And because they were missionary families, of course, they started inviting other missionaries, and um, it it grew and really exploded. Uh, the cool thing about it was that everyone came from different denominations, different backgrounds, different walks of life, but they all had the same kind of goal of serving and being. Um, being the body of Christ together. And so with that, it uh, naturally, everyone started inviting other people that they were working with. And every week we would have um, homeless people in our church, in our church service. Uh, we had orphans in our church service. We had prostitutes that would come to our church service. And it was really this, this amazing thing, just like you were talking about. There was come and belong and, and allowing that to kind of affect people's hearts and their belief system rather than the opposite of um, you have to look like us. And that's what we experienced coming back to the States was this sense of walking into a building and it's kind of like, okay, this is how you look, this is uh, what you think, this is how you talk, these are the key phrases you say, and if you fit, then you can be part of our club. Mm. Um, and we really just were put off. It, it was hard. I had, I had a huge amount of culture shock coming back to my home. I'm from California. And I came back here thinking, okay, I'm going to come right back into church and be at home and belong. And um, our way of thinking really didn't fit with most places that we were able to visit. Hmm. So the, the, this last question is, um I'm not, this is not like trying to be an advertisement for discovery or anything like that, but you did have a different experience when you came here, and I, I love just kind of some of the little things that sort of added up to getting connected to discovery. So why don't you share a little bit with what your experience was like coming here and how you had that sense of like, oh, okay, I think this could be our place. Yeah, so our first week here, uh, we left, we got in the car, and we both looked at each other and we're like, okay, this is home. This is where we feel um, a sense of belonging where um, where everyone's seeming to, to come together from different backgrounds, different, um, whatever your experience might be, you can come here and you can be the, the part of Christ's body that you were meant to be. Um, you can belong. Different parts that, uh, that really impacted her about belonging here. Yeah, definitely. I... Um of course, I speak Spanish as a first language, and so coming here, it was um, hard meeting the States to just, like, feel like 
home because it's like everybody's like preaching in English and everything. And the day that we came was when you were presenting Antonio and Gabby. And so that was like so exciting for me. I was like, yes, this is it. And then I had somebody um, that decided to run all the way from the back to run and, and give me a big hug. And we have never met just because she heard that I was from Costa Rica. And so just... Having Megan uh, just embrace me, and I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to be here. It was just amazing, and just to, to just have somebody do that, so, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just, I love that story, because it was, it was the first Sunday that Antonio and Gabby were here, and to be praying for that like just I, I think what I've heard them say is like God just let there be one person that speaks Spanish at this church <laughs> and then to have um, you know one of the pastors stand up and say you know um, I'm just a kid from Mexico and I had no idea I'd ever be a pastor in Davis was like this really cool moment so thank you guys for being willing to share that uh, uh, with our church um, and, and those are the moments right that we're that, that we are after is that is helping people have that sense of like oh yeah like, I can be a part of this community. Here's space for me to, again, not just fit in, but to belong. I want to invite the band to come back, and, and we're going to get ready for communion. So if you have your, your communion elements, you can pull those out. I want to end by saying just one more thing about the uh, prodigal son, son's story. Jesus, again, tells this set of stories right after there's this grumbling and complaining, right? How, how can you spend time with these people? How can you be eating and drinking with uh, notorious sinners and tax collectors in, in this crowd? And so Jesus tells these stories about this lost sheep, right? And, and the shepherd leaves the one lost sheep, or the 99, to go after the one lost sheep. And then he tells a story about a woman and a coin, right? She has 10 coins, loses one, does this all-out search to find the one coin. And then the story that we read today about the two sons. And as the people that he's speaking to, right, again, he's speaking to this very religious audience. As he's speaking to them, they would have heard these stories and they would have gone, wow, that's kind of uh, uh, unusual or, or even a little bit crazy that that shepherd would leave 99 sheep behind to go get one. And, and how uh, uh, radical for that woman to, to spend all that time and energy just trying to find one lost coin. But then they get to this last story and they would have, like, the scandal level goes way up. They, they would not have believed that this son would have had the audacity to say this to his father. Basically wishing that he was dead, right? Give me my inheritance. And then he, he, leaves, he leaves his family behind. He goes off. He squanders all of his stuff. They would have been shocked at the behavior of the father. Leaping off that porch, running to embrace his son. What the father should have done was shun his son. But he doesn't, right? He runs and embraces him and throws this big party for him. The other thing, though, that would have troubled them is this. The older brother in that culture and in that, in that uh, time, the older brother was the one who was supposed to go looking for the son, right? The shepherd looks for the sheep. The woman looks for her coin. The father does not go looking for his lost son. Why? Because it was the older brother's responsibility to do that. And so part of what Jesus is doing in this story is saying, I am the older brother. I am the good and true older brother who goes looking for my lost siblings and brings them home, brings them back to the father, back to the table, back to this feast, this party that the father is throwing.
That's such a beautiful way to share the good news of Jesus, right? That, that Jesus is our true and good older brother. That he is the one who has gone looking for us and made a way for us to come home and to just be with our Father. I want to end there. I want you to be thinking about that as we take communion together here in a moment. As we sing these songs, as you think about belonging news, we have a to come back brother who has gone looking for us and who has made a way for us to come back and to join the family, to join the party, to be part of what God is doing in redeeming and restoring his creation. So as we sing these closing songs, when you're ready, let's take communion together.